So that passage is a bit like one of those how-to books that you get from Smith's or on Amazon. Um, and it says, uh, it will be titled something like, How to Stop Worrying and Start Living. But unlike those self-improvement books, this is a God-improvement book. Now, I once heard a story about a woman who was an inveterate worrier. Every night when she went to bed, she would worry herself so she couldn't go to sleep, worrying that a burglar would come in. And one night, her husband heard a voice downstairs. He went to see, and lo and behold, there was a burglar. And he said, oh, good evening, nice to meet you. My wife's been waiting to meet you for 10 years. <laughs> that woman kept herself worrying for 10 years. And then yes, what she was worrying about did eventually happen. But she made herself unhappy for 10 years worrying about it. So what does Jesus say about worry? He says, don't worry. But there's at least five things that Jesus says, don't worry me. Or doesn't like what I don't mean. The first one is don't worry um, doesn't mean don't think about the future. The word translated merinalo, which translated as worry, means be over-concerned about. It doesn't mean don't plan for the future, because there's plenty of problems that tell us to plan for the future. But Jesus, and Jesus himself talks about prudent planning. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower, he says, will you not first sit down and estimate the cost? if he has enough money to complete it. That's from Luke. Favourite of church treasures, that one. <laughs> and don't worry is not an excuse for idleness. Don't worry doesn't mean sit back in your armchair and expect God to send you cash. It doesn't mean that you don't bother to earn a living if you can. Don't worry is not an excuse for idleness. And Paul warns against exactly that when he's in a letter to the Thessalonians. In that he writes, In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you brothers to keep away from every brother who is idle and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. For you yourselves know how to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we work night and day, labouring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. And now, as we heard, Jesus uses the example of birds. The birds at the air work extremely hard searching for food and nesting, but they don't worry. Once upon a time, a man decided to join the circus. He went to the circus master and he asked for an audition. He said, I have the most unusual act. I'm sure it will amaze you. And he proceeded to climb a tall tower and jump up. And he flapped his arms one of it. And suddenly he stopped falling and sailed forward. And then he swooped around and swooped back. And finally he stopped in midair and gently lowered himself to the ground, uh, softly landing on one foot. And the circus master stood one bit in the long time and said, Is that all you do, bird impressions? <laughs> birds of the air actually do fly, and they work extremely hard, but they don't need to worry. 
don't worry doesn't mean you shouldn't be ambitious. There's nothing wrong with correctly motivated ambition. It's good to set goals and be motivated to achieve them um, through the means God's given us. Now, during Hudson Taylor's first mission journey to China in 1853, a violent storm off the Welsh coast threatened disaster. He felt that it would be dishonouring to God to wear a life belt, so he gave his away. Later, however, he acknowledged his mistake and he wrote, The use of means ought not to lessen our faith in God or using whatever means he has given us for the accomplishment of his own purposes. God uses the means, our ability to work or our ability to do what he wants us to do, and we should make use of those means for his kingdom purposes. Fourthly, don't worry, doesn't mean we should opt out of our responsibilities. Because the time will come when we're all going to be asked to give an account of our own life. Where God's given us responsibility for others in our families, in our church, um, in our church life, we should have a proper concern. Paul, writing this time of Corinthians, says, I've laboured and toiled and I've often gone without sleep. I've been hungry and thirst and I've often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. And besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. So on top of all his physical exertions, Paul had a concern for all the churches he founded. Don't worry, it doesn't mean we won't have anything we might worry about. Because Jesus never promised us a stress-free life. And neither will we get rid of all the causes of worry. As we get rid of one problem, I don't know, another one takes its place. But Jesus is not some kind of impartial observer of our worries. He understands what it's like. He had all the concerns of day-to-day -day living. He had his own friends who died. He was misunderstood. He was threatened with death and unfairly tried. So Jesus is qualified to talk about worry. So we can trust his advice not to worry. So why are we not to worry? <coughs> to worry is to miss the point of life. That's verse 25 of our reading. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not the life more important than food, and the body more important than clay? If you read any woman's magazine, it's all about the body, and I believe a lot of men's magazines to say, how you keep your body in shape, how to make it beautiful, how to clothe it. We spend a lot of time worrying about our bodies rather than just getting on with life. The second reason we're not to worry is that worry is illogical. That's from verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? 
society is focused upon 40% of things that will never happen, 30% of things about the past that will not change, that will, can't be changed, 12% of things about criticism by others, mostly untrue, 10% of health, which also gets worse with stress, and 8% about real problems that will be faced and will be dealt with. One commentator says, worry is a slander on God's character, suggesting that he's more interested in his pets than his children. Wild birds are kept alive by the worms and insects provided by God in nature. They may have to spend a little of time looking, but their food is there, provided by God. The third reason we're not to worry is that worry is a complete waste of time, verse 27. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? In fact, the opposite is true. Mark Twain says, most of my disasters never happened to me. Dame Deborah James, who died a few weeks ago, was determined not to worry. Instead, she looked for positive solutions to her problems and never stopped saying that life was worth living. And over the five years between her cancer diagnosis and her death, worry was not on her agenda. Now I don't think that Deborah James was a Christian, but I do know that an attitude of hope and possibility is what characterizes people who belong in the kingdom of God. The fourth reason not to worry is that worry is incompatible with faith. This is verses 28 to 30. Jesus says, Why do you worry about your clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labour or spin. But I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow, um, that will tomorrow show to the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you little faith? So faith and worry are like fire and water. Faith involves confidence in God's care and provision. Being a kingdom person means trust, having a trusting relationship with God. And the trouble is that sin often interferes with that relationship and leads to worry. Fifth reason not to worry. Worry is incompatible with being in the kingdom. This is verse 32. But the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly father knows you need them. Non-Christians put um, material needs first. But Christians who are trusting God are called to be different and to trust him. Sixth reason not to worry is what is unnecessary. Uh, verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. All these things will be given to you as well. So if we're seeking God's kingdom, rather than worrying about what might, or might not happen, uh, Psalm 84, 11 says, No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. And Romans 8, 28, and I bet you're on there, we know that in all things work, so God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. I used to have that on the fridge. I bet some of you do too. 
Lamp, the film producer who it turns out was a Methodist, decided to do all his worrying on one day of the week. He chose Wednesdays. And when anything happened that gave him anxiety and annoyed his ulcer, he would write it down and put it in a worry box and forget about it until the next Wednesday. The interesting thing was that on the following Wednesday, when he opened the worry box, he found that most of the things that had disturbed him in the past six days were already settled. It would have been useless to have worried about them. The seventh reason not to worry is that worry is incompatible with common sense. This is verse 34. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Every day has enough trouble of its own. with the realities which you can do something about, and only that. At the end of her book, Give Us This Day, written whilst her husband, Roy Castle, was dying from lung cancer, Fiona Castle writes, Recently, a friend commented to me that many people live their life as though it were a dress rehearsal for the real thing. But in fact, by tonight, we will have given the only performance of today that we will ever get. So we have to put our heart, our energy, our honesty, and our sincerity into what we do every day. As the show business foundation writes, we find that a very that, that a very suitable illustration. And every show comes to the end of its run. When we must lay aside the costumes and step off the stage into another larger world. And she goes on. So as we pray the prayer that Jesus taught us, we ask God to give us this day. Thankfully receiving one day at a time, looking to him to sustain us with everything we need, whether it be food, shelter, love, or family and friends, or courage and hope to face the future. And at the same time, we echo the words of the psalmist. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. that we have an 
all-powerful God who is Omega and Alpha, beginning and end. A God who is more than all this world can have to worry about. And of the story from the times when we put on those rights and yet we trail behind us, we, we won't leave them alone, um, like we saw in the, the early talk. Lord, help us to cast our cares on you, knowing that you will uh, resolve them in your way. Lord, help us to remember that in Christ alone our hope is found. And that our God is a great, big God. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.